Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. There's no such thing as counterfeit if there's not a rail. And so what we want to do is find that balance, that place. And by the way, if you think you were perfectly balanced, you've just not lived one day long enough. I don't know of anybody in the light of the truth who is absolutely perfectly balanced. Now, there are those who think they are, and they go around telling everybody else how balanced they are. <laughs> but nobody... We are all on a journey, folks. We're all seeking. And I know that I'm not in perfect balance because the Holy Spirit is very faithful to make adjustments in my attitude very frequently. I have to confess things that fall short of His glory. Don't you? Well, I'll tell you right there, I'm not perfectly balanced. So we're all seeking, we're all learning. But I want us to see if there is scriptural evidence that this Abrahamic blessing can actually relate. If God has financial plans, if it relates to the resources of our life and what he so desires. Now, having found Deuteronomy chapter 8, I want you to hold your place there. and I want you to go to the very back of your Bible, just shy of the book of Revelation. There is a book of Jude, but right before that, there is a book called 3 John. The Apostle John, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, wrote the fourth gospel of the New Testament, and he wrote three epistles that are located near the back of your New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And I want us to take a look here at some things Right out of the Word of God, let me ask you something. If the Lord used one man to write four books of the New Testament, would you think that, he, that God entrusted um, value and trust in that man's ability to hear the Holy Spirit? Yes. Wouldn't you think that if it is documented in Holy Scripture as a word from God, which we believe that Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture. Wouldn't you think God meant it if he said it? All right, let's look at 3 John in verse 2. And here is something coming from the Holy Spirit through the vehicle of the Apostle John. And he says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in how many? All things. Would all things leave out anything? Is there anything not covered by all? That you may prosper in all things, could, would that might also cover your financial resources? That you prosper in all things and be in health, that is that there be order in your physical condition, and you know, a lot of people are jumping up and down and having TV programs now, and they don't read the rest of the verse. 
just as in the same measure as your soul prospers. That is, I want you to prosper, and let's get a definition of prosperity. Prosperity means to be whole, to be in order, and it means to have a condition of wholeness and order and more than you need for the purpose of being a blessing. It means to do and be well. And notice that what God is saying here is this. I want you to prosper financially and physically to the same extent that you're prospering in your inner man, in your soul. There are a lot of people around. I've met a lot of people in my lifetime who have all kinds of money, but they don't have a lick of peace. That is not prosperity. In fact, those financial resources can keep them from really dealing with the real issues of their life because they tend to think that their security is in what they are able to accumulate as opposed to their relationship to a holy and eternal God. And so, those who put their faith and trust in what they can accumulate as their security are of all men most to be pitied. In fact, you know, the only time I can remember that Jesus used the word fool, in fact, he told us not to call people fools. He used it in a parable in which he told the story of a man who had enormous financial resources laid up but had not gotten into relationship with his father. And he said, the night he died, he said, you fool, what is going to happen to your source of security now? If you place your security in something material as opposed to a relationship with your father, that is not prosperity. That is foolishness. If you have all kinds of money, but you don't know how to love, and you don't know how to show compassion, and you don't have any patience or kindness, are you prospering? The word says, I want you to prosper and be in good health to the same measure that your soul, your inner man, is prospering. And if you don't know how to love, if you don't know how to be kind, if you don't know how to be patient, if you don't have faith, if you don't have your security in the right place, you are not prospering in your inner man. What God wants for us is that we prosper on the outside at the same measure that we're prospering on the inside. So focus on that internal investment of God's love and his character and his his peace and focus on that which he's invested in you and intimacy with him and then ask the Lord to bring your finances and the order in your physical body in line with how wealthy you are on the inside. If you are depending on your external resources as the source of your security, 
you are not prospering. That is subject to change. All right. Now, having seen that in the New Testament, let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 8. We're going to see if the Abrahamic blessing has anything to do with our resources. And, uh, you know, I've asked a question here. Do you really desire to prosper? You say, well, Steve, what an idiotic question that is. No, I mean it. And here's, here's the reason why I mean it. I've lived around religious ideas and people for a long time. It is absolutely amazing. I was called and I accepted a call to be the Lord's servant as a minister 46 years ago. 46 years ago. I took my first position in a local church 42 years ago. Believe it or not, I'm not telling you it was wise, but it's a fact. <laughs> Poor things. God have mercy on them. She. Do you know what I've heard so many times over all these years? I'm not a novice. I've heard, I've heard a few things. I've heard so many people say, I don't want prosperity or wealth. It would ruin me. I can't handle it. I would never want the Lord to give me a whole lot because it would ruin me. I can't handle it. I've heard that over and over and over again. And of course my response is, I don't think you have to worry about it. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel, if you have a child, how would you feel if your child began to get into adulthood and they came to you and they looked you right square in the eye and they said, Mom, Dad, whatever you do, do, don't give me any blessing. Don't allow me to prosper. Please don't share your wealth with me because I can't handle it. What's the difference? There are sons and daughters of the king of the universe who constantly say, if I had great financial blessing, it would ruin me. So can I ask you something? If your child did come to you and say, whatever you do, don't give me financial blessing, would you pull your checkbook out? Yeah. Well, here, let me destroy you anyway. Now I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, a little different way of looking at this. That is... Pure, that attitude is pure selfishness before the Lord. Because I got news for you, honey. He didn't put you here to just wrap yourself in your little world and have your little survival needs met. He put you here to be a river through which he can bless those that he brings into your life and advance his kingdom on the earth. One of the things that we're going to have to give an accountable, we're going to have to be accountable to before the Lord is, what did you do with what I gave you? So true prosperity 
is to be and to do well on the inside and on the outside. But please, you, you need to understand there are some people who don't really want to prosper. And what I'm trying to tell you is you, Genesis 12 was the Abrahamic covenant where God said, I'm going to bless you and make you great and you shall what? Be a blessing. The purpose of me blessing you to this extent is so you can be a blessing. So make a firm decision that whatever it takes, you are going to make your decisions as it relates to the financial blessing of the Lord based on his word and not your present circumstances. Uh, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 18, those are subject to change. The things that you see are temporary. Decide to investigate the word of God because Romans ten seventeen tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. So make up your mind based on scriptural evidence what God wants to do and understand that it's not enough just to want to prosper, to do and be well, but it is... <laughs> you see, a lot of people do want to prosper, they just don't want to prepare to prosper. So let's look at our passage now in Deuteronomy 8 that I asked you to turn to earlier. And this is one of the greatest descriptions of what some people went through. And it is a clear declaration of what the covenant translated into in their lives. And I remind you that according to the New Testament, you are a son and daughter of Abraham as well. Can I ask you something? Do you really believe... That now that Jesus has come and fulfilled the perfect standards of God and released the Abrahamic blessing to all of those who would believe, do you believe that the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant have actually diminished between the Old Testament and the New Testament? The word says in Hebrews, we have a better covenant built on better promises. So what you have is certainly not inferior to what those pre-Jesus had. It's better. Alright. So let's look here. And uh, Deuteronomy 8. And what we're trying to determine is. What is God's intention. About the resources that I am. Entrusted to handle. Every commandment. 8.1. Which I command you today. You must be careful to observe. That you may live. And. What's the word? multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. Okay, now we're trying to determine, does this have anything to do with the promise God made to Abraham which affects me today? Let's turn back to chapter 6 and let's see who the fathers are that he's talking about so you won't take my word for it. Let's see what the word says. Deuteronomy 6, let's look at verse 10. Same, same um, message here, God speaking through Moses. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, that is to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So is he talking about a promise he made Abraham? 
to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards, olive trees, whatever. All right, now let's get over to chapter one, uh, ch- uh, chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to lead you into the land that I promised Abraham. Verse 2, you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years where? In the wilderness. To humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Who needed to know what was in their hearts, God or them? God already knew, right? If he knows all, he already knew. A t- listen, a test is a mechanism that brings out in the open that which you don't know. A test is not to destroy you, it's to reveal some things that possibly you don't know that you need to know. All right, don't, don't, let, don't get lost in the details here. What we're trying to find out is, does the Abrahamic covenant involve financial blessing? And, and my, the statement was, most people want to be blessed financially. They just don't want to prepare to be blessed financially. And what I'm trying to tell you is that these people went through a preparation period that was somewhat, not somewhat, very difficult. He said he led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. Verse 3, so he humbled you. Now let's get a definition of what it means to be humbled by the Lord. Some people have these views that some great cosmic force is going to just slap them around. No, to be humbled by the Lord means that he removes your self-reliance. Do you know that sometimes tests help you deal with your attitudes of self-reliance? Sometimes when the pressure is so great, attitudes and actions come to the surface that you couldn't see before, but in the time of testing, they come to the surface so that you can see that you have been self-reliant, but that has deceived you and caused you Great pain. How many of you know that sometimes the tests can get so severe that you are forced into believing and accepting the fact that you can't fix it? And boy, does that ever, is that ever a blow to your self-reliance? Yes or no? So understand that your wilderness experience, so many times the purpose of it is to Keep you from the deception of relying on yourself. Not to make you not be responsible for your actions, but to rely on you as the source of the final outcome that you yourself are playing God. Sometimes tests have to reveal to the fact that if you decide to be sovereign in your life, you will fail. So he humbled you, verse 3. He led you to see 
that self-reliance, where it was going to get you. Do you understand that, remember where they were 40 years ago when God supernaturally sent plagues on the Egyptians and forced them to let his people go and he opened the Red Sea dramatically and they walked through on dry land and then it closed back when the Egyptians pursued his people. Do you remember what they left Egypt with? Well, the Word of God says an amazing thing. It says right before they left Egypt, they went to their Egyptian neighbors and asked for their silver and gold and fine jewelry. And the Egyptians gave their personal wealth over to God's covenant people who'd now been in Egypt 430 years and spent the last part of that as slaves in bondage to Pharaoh making bricks to build the Egyptian empire. And then they left absolutely loaded. On their way to Canaan 40 years before on the verge of the land God gave them a test and he said, time to go on in and take possession of what I gave my man Abraham. It's there for you. They sent out a committee of 12. Ten of them came back and said, we can't do this. They're enemies over there. They're bigger than we are. We'll be destroyed. Can I tell you something? They were loaded with wealth, unlike anything they had ever seen before. But how much good did it do them? Can you buy off your enemies? Can you pay for peace? Can you buy faith? Their unbelief led to intense fear which led to a retreat from the promises of God. So let me ask you this. Now that they were wandering around in the wilderness, how much good was all that money doing them? All that silver and gold and fine jewelry. How much good was it doing them? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. That the value of our lives is not in what we can accumulate. And so, there they were. But he said, he humbled you. And notice verse 3. He allowed you to hunger. He allowed you to get into a place of need out there in the wilderness. But he didn't just allow you to hunger. He Verse 3, what did he do? He fed you with what? Steak, potatoes, no. Manna. How many of you remember what that manna was like? That very, very, very thin bread-like substance that God put out there on the ground to sustain them for 40 years in the wilderness. He said, he humbled you. He found there was fear and unbelief and rebellion in your heart. He allowed you to hunger, but he still kept you alive. He still sustained you and enabled you to survive. He fed you with manna, which you had never seen before. Neither your fathers had never seen or known that before. But notice verse 3, that he might make you know 
something a whole lot more important than being wealthy, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. That is what you can physically see as a resource, but you live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. It is the word of God that is the source of your life. Notice what he says in verse 4. Your garments didn't wear out on you. Hey, if you've got a garment that you've worn every day for 40 years that didn't wear out, my goodness, you ought to, you know, if you do, that's pretty substantial. He said, your garments didn't wear out on you, nor did your foot swell for 40 years. 40 years of walking around in the Middle Eastern desert, and you didn't have any of those problems? Verse 5, you shall know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, that is, corrects and disciplines his son, so the Lord your God corrects and disciplines you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him, that is, to hold him in a place of high regard, not to be afraid of him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Hmm. That desert is not his highest and best. That's a temporary place. The Lord your God is bringing you, verse 7, into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. My goodness, how much of that have they, had they seen the last 40 years? A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates of olive oil and honey. A land which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing. Was that a different climate from what they had seen for 40 years? I mean, would you get excited about that if you were them? You will lack nothing. You're not going to be paralyzed by what you don't have anymore. When you have eaten and are full, verse 10, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which you earned or which he has given you. Which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, judgments, and statutes, which I command you today. Lest, listen to this, verse 12. When you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwelt in them, Now, some people get real nervous about this. Can I tell you something? How many of them had built a home before and lived in it? Was this a new adventure or what? 40 years wandered around the desert. 430 years been in the land of Egypt. And he says, I'm going to take you into the land that I've prepared for you. And you're going to build your own homes and live in these beautiful new homes. Whose idea was that? Yes or no? Was it God's idea? So I'm not going to leave you out there struggling in the wilderness to survive. I have got a good plan for you. Everybody say it with me. The desert is not my final destination. I'm going to live in Canaan. 
Notice what he says in verse 13. We're answering the question, does the blessing of the covenant of God's favor through Abraham have anything to do with something tangible, material resources? Verse 13, and when your herds and your flocks multiply. What do those herds and flocks um, represent to them in that culture? I mean, it's not only what they consume for food, but it is what they bartered and exchanged and, and traded. And it was, a, it was a symbol of their well-being, their financial well-being. When your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied. What is silver and gold? Is that not a financial resource? I don't know how you spiritualize that away. All right? And all that you have is multiplied. Beware. Remember, it is a beware in verse 11. He hadn't, quit, he hadn't finished the sentence yet. Beware so that, you're, that your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. What is our tendency when we've got more than enough? What is our tendency? To forget the source and to love comfort and not seek the Lord and what he wants to do. Yes or no? Many years ago I was in such I was in such a wilderness experience in the area of finances that one day I got in before God between me and him and I made a vow to God that I have never forgotten. I said, Lord, I promise you this day and I will not forget it that if you will just get me out of this desert, if you will just take me into the land of promise, I promise you that I will seek you just as hard and just as passionately when I have an abundance as I now do when I have a lack. And I am reminded of that vow frequently. God's desire for you if you are in a great wilderness in the area of your finances, God's desire for you is not to leave you there. Can I stop here and ask you a question? Do you think that the Lord God Almighty is going to advance his kingdom through strangers or through his children? Do you want to give your inheritance to strangers or to your children? So let me ask you something. If God's kids are all broke and he has chosen to finance his kingdom through his children, and they're all broke. How do you think that's going to happen? Hello. We live in a fairy tale world in the realm of Christianity. If the word's not practical, and if it's not real, and if it doesn't work, what are we doing here? Right? By the way, let me tell you this. Do you know that prayer is mentioned, and I'll have to get the accuracy on this, but it's somewhere around three or 400 times throughout the whole Bible. Do you know that money 
and the handling of resources is mentioned over 2,100 times in Holy Scripture. How about that? Right? Notice he says, beware when all of this is multiplied, verse 14, that your heart is lifted up and you forget who led you, verse 15, through that great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land. What was God doing through the wilderness? He was preparing them for what he had in the future. He, by, by what? Humbling them, bringing to the surface attitudes they needed to get right and making them understand that he was the source of their life, removing from them those attitudes of self-reliance. All of us want to prosper. We just don't want to go through the desert of preparation to prosper. And God is not willing for us to live our lives with a lottery mentality. You know what that is, don't you? Well, I'm just trusting God to make me rich today. And if I get rich today, then I'm going to remember God and I'm going to bless the kingdom. No, you won't. If you can't bless the kingdom with $50, you ain't going to bless it with $50 million. It's a process. Well, don't get me preaching. I may make you mad and you may leave. All right, now. He led you through that great and terrible wilderness, but he fed you in the wilderness with manna. But notice, notice what he says, that he might humble you, verse 16, this is precious, that he might humble you, that he might test you. And what was his motive? To do good to you in the end. Everybody say it with me. My father's intention towards me is to do good towards me in the end. Even when I can't see it, he desires to do good to me. And he says in verse 17, remember verse 11, he started out this sentence about beware. Beware that you then say in your heart, it is my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. When I've got a beautiful home and I've got flocks and herds multiplying and I've got silver and gold multiplying, Beware that you say it is my power and the might of my hand. See, if you would just do what I do, then you can have what I have. He said, you shall remember, verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Now, let's get a definition again of that wealth. Wealth is a relative term. It means more than you need for the purpose of pleasing and obeying God through helping other people. More than you need for the purpose of the advancement of the kingdom of God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That Now, why is he going to give you the power to get wealth? We're going to back up here in just a minute, so bear with me. Why is he going to give you the power to get wealth? Verse 18, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers. Who was that? So part of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant is the power to what? Is it in there or not? 
But now, let, let, let's, the, 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 the definition of biblical wealth is more than you need for the purpose. But remember, what did God say to Abraham? I want to bless you and make you great so that you can then become what? A blessing. God is not interested in a pond. He is always interested in a river. He wants to get to you what he can get through you. God wants you to have money. He just doesn't want money to have you. Does that make sense? All right, now. He gives you the power to get wealth more than you need in abundance for every good work. But let's ask ourselves this question. Does the power to get wealth mean that if you're in covenant with God and you just believe enough that it's just an automatic benefit that comes your way and you do nothing but just believe and speak it and buy lottery tickets? <laughs> no. Right, let me explain to you like this. Uh, as, a, as a citizen of the United States, do you have in place what is called the Bill of Rights? Yes or no? Do you have the right to free speech? Can you speak without somebody saying <clears throat> legally, you can't say that. No, you can get yourself in trouble, but you have the right to speak, do you not? Do you have a right to peacefully assemble like you're doing today? Nobody can tell you you can't come today and peacefully assemble, right? Is one of those rights the right to bear arms? Yes or no? Is that in the Bill of Rights? Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> did that right automatically come as a benefit when you were born I mean, when you were born and they put you in the cradle, did they lay your pistol right there beside you? No, you have a right to bear arms, but that right has all kinds of stipulations on it, like to own and carry a concealed weapon, you have to be a certain age. You have to have government approval. You cannot be a convicted felon. You, can, you have to uh, carry a permit that has to be reissued by government, right? There are stipulations about that. So you have the power, the right to bear arms, but it is not automatic, an automatic benefit that is forced on you, yes or no? In your covenant with God, you have the power to get more than you need for the purpose of, of being a blessing. But it is not an automatic, here it is, benefit that is just yours when you are born into the kingdom of God. Does that make sense to you? All right. So if we are learning... That if we truly want to have more than enough for the purpose of blessing the kingdom of God, if we're learning that God's desire is to do his work through his children and not to have to rely on strangers, if we are learning that there is a fulfilled covenant that belongs to us and inherent in that is the ability to, to receive from God more than enough 
for the purpose of being a blessing, then we need to learn to understand how we can walk in that particular blessing. And what I said earlier was this. Most of us want to prosper. We just don't want the preparation process. So quit fighting the desert. Ask the Lord to bring to the surface what you need to deal with. And I have recommended this prayer. I think that it is a prayer of order and balance. And I think it is a legitimate prayer based on the covenant of Abraham. I recommend it to you. I wrote it down here on your outline. Lord, increase my ability to handle more of your resources in a way that gives you pleasure and increases your kingdom's influence through me. Increase my ability to handle more of your resources in a way that gives you pleasure and increases your kingdom's influence through me. Many, many years I have quoted Philippians 4.19 and I've heard countless people quote Philippians 4.19 and here's what it says. My God shall meet all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I've heard some come behind that and say, well, he just promises to meet your needs to help you survive. All right, well, let's think about that for just a minute. I'm going to ask you to think a little differently. What are your needs? Let me give you a few things to write down that you may want to think about. What are your needs? If you want to go before God in faith and ask Him to meet your needs, wouldn't it make sense to have an idea of what they are? Yes or no? See, a lot of believers think, well, my needs are just, you know, to, live, to breathe and to have food and have a, a minimum amount of clothing and have shelter and that's all I really need. Well, let me ask you to think about that. Let's talk about your needs for just a minute. You ready? We're talking about basics. Here. Do you live in Africa or Ecuador? Now, some of you who are going to be listening and are listening or are living in different parts of the world because of the, the great uh, technological advances and the Internet, and this is relative, but you apply it to where you are. But I'm speaking primarily to an audience right here in the deep southern region of the United States and in a particular area of a, a city, a metropolitan area of about a million people in central Alabama. All right, so here's what I'm asking you. To live where you live, God has assigned you to live where you live. You, you're not in an African continent. You are not in an Asian continent. You live where you live. Do you need shelter? You do, don't you? Because see, if you don't have, to, if you don't have shelter, then the rest of us in the body of Christ are going to have to pay places like the Jimmy Hill Mission and stuff to support you. So you need, and that's okay, but it's not God's highest and best for you. You need shelter, don't you? All right? Um, is that expensive these days in the region where you live? Yes or no? Yes. Well, I could live anywhere. I could live in a tent over there in, in Asia or Africa. Well, get you a ticket and go on over there. 
But what about if the Lord has assigned you and guided you and directed you to live here? You've got to have shelter, don't you? Uh, by the way, would it be a good idea to insure that shelter? If you're renting, don't you need some contents insurance in case somebody else left something on the stove and burned your stuff up? Wouldn't it be a good idea to have some money to replace it? Wouldn't it be a good idea to insure that place where you live? Wouldn't it be a good idea to pay the taxes on that shelter that you have? I mean, you can refuse to pay them, but I want to tell you they're going to go down to the courthouse steps and sell it, and you're going to have to get out. So you need to pay your taxes on that, don't you? You need to pay your insurance. You need to pay your, your rent. You need to pay your mortgage. <clears throat> And so far, can I ask you something? Do you need some water in there? You know, for your toilet and your showers. And Do you need some heat, some air conditioning? Would you need some light? So that shelter is a need you have, and it's increasing in expenses by the minute. Yes or no? Yes. Hmm. Let me ask you something. <clears throat> Do you need a vehicle to operate in this culture? I mean, you could probably get by without it, but it's going to make life very difficult. And it's going to probably inhibit your ability to really do and be well. I mean, let me ask you something. You came to sit under the Word of God today. How many of you got here through a vehicle? How about that, 100%? Did that require some fuel? Historic price to fuel your vehicle do you need insurance on that vehicle so that if if there was an accident and if i mean you could be protected from losing everything you had if you were at fault do you need some insurance to operate in this culture yes or no yes. <laughs> my goodness do you need to pay for it they'll come and get it if you don't right Hey, do you need to eat? Do you need some groceries? Have you looked at your bill lately? Is it going down? Does it cost you something to feed yourself? If you don't feed yourself, you're not going to be here long. These are needs, yes or no? All right, let me ask, yourself, uh, let me ask you a question. Um, do, you, do you need to tithe? God says the tithe is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be provision in my house, saith the Lord, so that I will rebuke the devourer on your behalf. Well, see, there's 10% of your income right there. Do you need to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's? Do you need to pay your taxes? Is that a scriptural thing? Absolutely. Well, can I tell you something? On the, on the basis of your gross revenues, your bottom line of your personal income tax for the federal government is 15%. 5% in the state right now. So that's an, the, if you are in the lowest rung of economic blessing, that's 20% off the top right there. 
And your tithe is another 10. That's 30 plus all these things I've been mentioning. Do you understand that you're going to pay sales tax on virtually everything that you purchase? You have no idea how much money you were paying out to taxes to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. It's the right thing to do. We're talking about things you need, are we not? Can I ask you something? Do you need... Do you need to have health insurance? Bryant's medical bills were over a million dollars. It would have mortgaged the rest of my life. I, don't, I can't write anybody a check for a million dollars. Just a few years ago, many of you remember it, I got to spend a weekend over at a local hospital and they were kind enough to give me a bill for over $103,000 for the weekend. Wasn't that nice? I want to tell you something. I can't just turn around and write a check to somebody for that. Do you need health insurance in this culture? that you live in for your own protection and the protection of your family? Yes or no? Yes. Do you understand how much that costs? If you don't, you need to ask somebody paying that bill. It's very, very expensive. I'm just talking about your needs, okay? Would you need to have a reserve fund? Would you need to have some savings in case you hit a ditch and you had an emergency and you didn't have the cash available in your operating expenses? Do you really need to have some reserves? Would that be a good thing? Listen, Proverbs says it like this. A good man leaves an inheritance. In the context of financial blessing, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's Children, let me ask you something. Do you have enough right now that if you were to leave and you got to go to heaven, that you, do you have enough to help take care of your grandchildren? You think God put that in the word for no reason? Believers are going around saying, well, I, I just have what I need. Really? I'm telling you, you need more than you think you do. And if you're just going before God with a little pitiful thing, just help me get through today instead of enable me to live a life free from the distraction of financial pressure so that I can be a blessing, you need to step into a new realm of faith and expectancy with God. And don't be afraid to say, God Almighty, help me in the name of Jesus to learn how to handle more of your resources so that I can give you pleasure. Amen. James says you don't have because you don't ask. And I ask you again, how generous would you be if your children kept telling you, 
that they don't really want or need your blessing. It is God's desire to bless His children. I'm going to close with that. How you know that, Steve? <laughs> do you know that I studied it, looked it up? And do you know that the word and its derivative, the word bless and its derivative, blessing, blesses, whatever, is mentioned over 600 times in the Word of God. Now next week I'm going to talk to you about God's intention and His desire that His children be blessed. Remember, beginning on the inside. If you've got blessings on the outside and not on the inside, you're not prospering. So remember what I said here. But I want to talk to you about the intention of God to bless His people. And then next week, the Lord willing, I'm going to share with you several myths that have developed and been concealed through religious mindsets. Myths that have kept you from really believing the promise of God's covenant as it relates to financial resources. And we're going to see scriptural evidence to attack those myths that have hurt the body of Christ for many years. Because as one of my, my partners told me last night, if you believe the myth, you will be mistaken. <laughs> what you believe makes a huge difference. Well, let's pray. Father, in the holy and mighty name of Jesus, I pray for all of these within the sound of my voice who belong to you, your children. Help us to understand that you meant it when you said we're heirs and joint heirs, that all things belong to you. We're, we're not owners, God. We're stewards. We pray that you would enable us to see ourselves as blessed of you, blessed of you, favored of you. And Father, for those who are going through the crisis of wilderness experience and being tested, Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will give them grace and encouragement and peace that they may understand that the source of their life is the Word of God and that your end result plan for them, Lord, is not for survival, but for, to be blessed to be a blessing. And Father, we just pray that you would enable every one of us to handle more of your resources that we may truly bless your heart. And Father, that we would become more and more like you in that giving heart that you have. That we would not operate with a closed hand or put our security in what we can accumulate, but in you. And Father, make all of these your sons and daughters. And make me wise stewards of what you've invested so that we can be entrusted with more. We thank you that your word says that whomsoever much is given, much is required. And you've said that if we're faithful in a little, you will make us faithful over much. God, help us to be willing to be faithful over a little, to operate in the process and to thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. And we praise you, O oh God, that in Jesus we are wealthy beyond measure because we have had invested in us the eternal things that really matter. Your presence, your power, your love, your compassion, your patience, your kindness, your forgiveness. Oh God, we thank you. Help us to focus on those things and seek those things that, uh, first that are the, your kingdom and your way of doing things. In Jesus' name, God, bless your people. Amen.
You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.